I invite you to remain standing as together we share in the affirmation of faith, the Shema, that Jesus would have said every day of his life. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ehad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, now and forever. Amen. God created us for blessing. Every soul on this planet needs to experience blessing. I know that when someone offers me a blessing, it helps me feel positive, joyful, hopeful, almost as if we were embraced by warm love. Blessing is good. But if someone says something negative to me, it's very easy for me to seem to absorb that negativity, to be pulled down, as it were. And if it's said enough, perhaps I even begin to believe what they're saying, whether it's true or not. Blessing is important, and that is true for every single one of us. And when we experience blessing, we sense that we belong, that we are no longer alone. We are not outcasts. We are not unwanted. We are not unreachable. Blessing is important. And when we offer blessing to another, it is a projection of good into that person's life. And we do it with our heart and our mind and our very spirits. I love what Dallas Willard says about blessing. He said, blessing is a type of dance, of the ancient dance, of the hokey pokey. You can't just put one foot in. You've got to put your whole self into it. And isn't that true? When we bless, we put our whole self into that blessing for the other. There are two ways that we treat each other in this world. One is to curse. The other is to bless. And it's a part of who we are. It's as natural as breathing in and out. The Beatitudes call us to choose blessing and not curse. And it was fascinating to me as I worked on this sermon and I thought about the fact that when we go back to the very beginning of Scripture, in Genesis 1, God has created this beautiful world. God creates humankind. And the first words that God speaks over you and I as human beings is be blessed. Be blessed and fruitful and multiply. So it is no coincidence, I think, 
that Jesus, when he gathers for his first public teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, begins with the word blessed. Each beatitude seeks to express an attitude of our hearts as well as an action that we are to perform and share that allows blessing to just flow out. It is a matter of heart that we need to take very seriously. Now, when I turn to the Beatitudes, I'm a visual person, and so for me, images are important. And an image that I've carried with me for a very long time of this portion of Scripture actually came from a movie made in 1959. Some of you will remember it. Ben-Hur, A Story of the Christ. It starred Charlton Heston. And in that movie, there is a scene where Jesus is gathering up on a high hill. And there are crowds of people who are climbing and flocking to that place, sitting down, listening to Jesus as he begins to speak the Beatitudes and teach the Sermon on the Mount. Now, my image was improved a bit when I actually got to go to Israel and visited the Mount of Beatitudes, which I know a number of you have been able to do as well. It is a high hill, and it overlooks the beautiful Sea of Galilee near Capernaum. And there is a beautiful chapel built at the top to commemorate this place, which may have been where Jesus taught the Beatitudes. For over 1,600 years, people have come to that particular place to remember Jesus' words. And so my image has changed a little bit. And then as I did my work in preparation for sharing with you today, it changed again because it seems that most scholars believe Jesus was not really trying to teach the crowds that had come. If you notice, it begins, he went up on a high hill and sat down on a mount and the disciples came to him. You see, Jesus is primarily teaching the disciples and by extension, all of us who follow him. The crowds are there, yes, but they are not his primary focus. He wants us who follow him, who seek to be disciples, to Absorb this teaching that he gives. I think it is also helpful for us to understand the context in which Matthew wrote his gospel. Because the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount as we read it there are only found in Matthew's gospel. He wrote it probably two to five years after the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 A.D. It was a difficult time. And the people for whom Matthew wrote primarily were the Jews and the Christians who had fled Jerusalem when that terrible event occurred. 
Many of them had gone to Antioch, about 500 miles north of Jerusalem. It was a time of intense grief, personally and nationally. They were frightened and scared. It was a time when they did not know what would happen next. They struggled to make sense of it all. And to top it off, the great temple, the very center of their faith, was totally destroyed. Its priests were massacred. Jerusalem was in shambles. I think it is very difficult for us to truly understand the horrific experience that the Jewish people had at that time. When all that they had held dear, that spoke of their faith, was suddenly gone. And the Jewish Christians felt that same anguish. Only it was compounded because you see by now the Jewish community was beginning to reject the Christians because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And so Matthew seeks to reassure them, to encourage them, to comfort them in a way, and also to embolden them as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so throughout his gospel, he writes about change. Things are always changing in Matthew. He also loves to use the metaphor of the mountain or the rock or the stone. For you see, that metaphor allows him to speak of spiritual things in a more concrete way of understanding. And for the Jewish people, the mountain always represented a God encounter. It's where God met them and they met God. And the mount is also powerful because for his readers, it conjures up two mountains. The first is Mount Sinai, where Moses is given the Ten Commandments. And secondly, it conjures up Mount Moriah, which is the site of of where the temple was located in Jerusalem, the holiest mountain in Israel. And it's interesting, if you read Matthew carefully, that especially in the first four chapters, there are many parallels between Jesus and Moses and the way that their lives unfolded. And so there is a lot for the people to connect to. And now Jesus is on a mount. Jesus is sitting in the posture of a teacher in the temple. Jesus is giving them a new way of living, based on the old, but with a slightly different twist to it. It reminds me of the words of Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, second letter, where Paul says, we are the temple of the living God. This is so important because the temple, in a physical way, never more would exist. But now the temple is us. And we meet God here within our hearts. 
So with the Beatitudes, Jesus is now announcing the coming of the kingdom of God. It is dawning in a new and powerful way in the world. And it is offering through his teachings habits of heart that we can live by. The Beatitudes don't give us the how-tos at this point. They are, in a sense, the opening of Jesus' inaugural address in Matthew. And they give us a new understanding. They invite us to stand in a threshold place with one foot in the world and one foot in the future kingdom that will come when God brings all things to its culmination. The Beatitudes were not unfamiliar to the Jewish people. You can find some of them in Proverbs and Psalms. And in Psalm 128, 1 and 2, we have this one. Happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be happy and it shall go well with you. You see, a a beatitude always began with a statement of happiness, a blessing. It gave a description of what that blessing was like and the reward that would come if you lived out your life that way. It made people think that if they did things right or believed the right way or even had riches, that they were blessed. But Jesus says, no, it's not that way. Jesus is saying that blessedness does not depend on who we are or what we do or how we believe. Blessedness is based on who God is and God is love. Wow. Jesus changes their understanding of blessedness. And as he gives the Beatitudes, he's showing them That also, as we live into this way of life in God's kingdom, it's not just for now. And we won't really see the results now. We will see them in the future when the kingdom comes fully. And so I invite you to hear again these Beatitudes. And as you do... I will be sharing an interpretation that I've gleaned from my research and studies for this sermon that I think helps take us into that deeper place of meaning that Jesus intended when he spoke these words. As we hear them, may they become part of us. Blessed are the poor in spirit who have no need of their own righteousness, but are filled with desire for God and to serve God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, who feel the world's pain and grieve over humanity's disobedience to God. For they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, Those who are not self-seeking are ambitious for their own enrichment, but seek God's will as their own, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who focus not only on their own personal holiness and growth in faith, 
but who seek to help others grow and to work for justice in the world. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful who feel another person's pain, who are able to walk in another person's shoes and feel as another person feels. They will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, who are devoted completely to God, who are not divided by seeking to serve two masters. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, who seek not only to reconcile quarrels, but who work for shalom, for harmony and brotherhood throughout the world. For they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In other words, those who truly work for God's kingdom, who oppose evil at every opportunity. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus speaks to the whole community of faith and says, Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You who are living into your heavenly citizenship as disciples of Jesus Christ. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, the Beatitudes call us to a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. So today you have in your bulletin a little card. It has the Beatitudes on it. And I invite you to take this with you. Perhaps put it in a place where you can see it every day and read it. May it be a reminder to us that we are not only to live as kingdom people now, but we can anticipate that fulfillment in the future. Perhaps even at the end of the day, we might want to take a moment and read through these and see where we have experienced them or live them out, or perhaps even where we could do better. As we do these things, perhaps the Beatitudes will become woven into the very fabric of our being, and we will be stronger, more compassionate disciples of Christ. Alexander Shia writes about the Beatitudes and says this, As the very heart of Jesus' teachings, their practice opens us up to compassion. If we are able to place these on our hearts, walk with them on our feet, hold them in our hands, and seal them in our thoughts, we will have more insight along the journey. They will become our walking staff and guide for the arduous times. We will face. And so as we close this day, I invite you to turn to that portion of Shia's um, quote that you find on the bulletin. And I invite you to read it with me. These are the very heart of Jesus' teaching. Their practice opens us up to compassion. 
Place them in your heart. Walk with them on your feet. Hold them in your hand. Seal them in your thoughts. As we receive these gifts that God has given us through Jesus, may they be truly lived out in our lives. Amen.